I wanted to take a moment and uh, introduce you to some, some of my friends that uh, I've known over the years and, and family members, different things like that as we get through this uh, series. One is uh, the idea here, who's, who's your one? That's the whole t-shirt thing and what's on the back, who's your one? Um, we're we're going to be talking about that because we want just one more. We just want one more. Um, and and that's, that's the reality. Randy was his name. Um, I was... Uh, new to the area in the Phoenix metro area, and we had moved there from rural Oklahoma. And so the difference between a town of about uh, 400 to a city of 6 million, and we didn't know anybody. We, we moved there. I accepted a position at a church down there as, as kind of an executive pastor, and uh, we moved to this apartment uh, that was a couple of miles from the church. And Randy Justice was his name. That sounds just like a, like a WWE name. I mean, he, he, was, he was kind of a rough and tough looking guy. Um, and uh, he was the manager, uh, not really the manager, kind of like, well, yeah, he, he took care of things there. There were probably about 100 units in this apartment complex. And um, I got to know him over the, over the time that we were there. And uh, about the second or third month that we were there, um, I had gone in like any good God-fearing person would do, and I paid the rent. I did that on the first of every month, and, and I wasn't going to mail it because it was just around the corner. So I walked over to the office and with my check, and, and I handed it to... Uh, the office manager, and Randy happened to be walking through. And he said, hey, you're, you're one of those um, ministers at that church, right? I had no idea what, he, what church he was talking about, but I said, well, yeah, I, I no, Well, I, I know that because I wasn't his first exposure to Glendale Christian Church. Actually, he had met some of the other church family members earlier. Actually, before we even arrived, uh, a bunch of them had gathered some, some items together and packed our pantry before we even got there. And uh, so they got a hold of him, and, and he let them into the apartment to fill our pantry before we even got there. So he, he knew some of them. But the thing that, that surprised me more than anything was the next statement, was, I'm going to have to give that church a try. Now, I've been in ministry at that point about 10 or 11 years, and I had been in ministry long enough to know that that was code for I'm not going to do that. And so I didn't necessarily think anything about it. Uh, The next Sunday, though, he was there, and his wife, Lisa, and their high school daughter, Stevie, named after Stevie Nicks. Randy had had problems with alcohol for years, and Lisa was a nurse. Uh, But the thing that uh, surprised me more than anything about Lisa, as she came, Randy introduced uh, the family to me, and Lisa said, you look just like Garth Brooks. And in fact, I had a beard at that time, in fact, what she, from that point on, she was bringing other people to the church 
to come see the pastor that looks like Garth Brooks. She said, Todd, you just got to put on a cowboy hat and hold a guitar. I never did that. But, but that's, that's what she did. She oftentimes brought folks, encouraging them to some, come see the guy that looks like Garth Brooks. So that was Randy and his story. It was a number of uh, weeks later, and I had the privilege of baptizing Randy and Stevie. Lisa had been praying for them as part of their fam- her family that they would come to a saving relationship with Christ and, and obedience in that way. I've got plenty of others, but I wanted to introduce some folks to you. And, and you've got a heritage like that too. My church had that heritage there in Glendale. My church here has that heritage as well. Out in the lobby, there is a quilt. Some of you may have seen as you came in. You can see it on your way out today. Uh, but it has a bunch of names. There was uh, actually, I think there was maybe close to 500 names on that quilt. And that thing was built or made. I don't know what you do with a quill if you make it or build it. But that thing was completed in 1916. The names that are on that quilt weren't just the names that are are the part of KCC back in 1916. There are actually so many more names that were on that quilt from the church family who had identified who they wanted to see at this church someday. Just one more, or maybe just 500 more. I don't remember seeing any of your names on that quilt because it was made in 1916. But if you've grown up in this area, you may have a family member that's on that quilt. So you've come with some heritage as well. Just one more. Just one more, Lord. There's another character, actually a couple different characters in this passage I want to share with you today, out of the book of Acts in your New Testaments, chapter 8. And this is a fairly common passage of Scripture, but I want you to take a look at it because there are several different elements here that are necessary as we're looking for just one more, as you're looking for just one more. So first off, you're going to need a soul seeker. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, and we'll jump ahead to 29, but we'll, we'll get to the 27 and 8 here in just a moment. But in eight, chapter 8, verse 26, it says this. These two guys. It says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him. See, that's where this soul seeker, uh, an aspect of the heavenlies, uh, a godly divinity thing is interested in seeking souls. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Down into verse 29, it says this, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage, kind of like a chariot type of a thing. The holy is interested in just one more. I am so thankful because I'm one more. You are just one more. And you can be thinking of just one more. 
There's also a second element, a seeking soul. Acts chapter 8, back up into verse 27, it says this, uh, so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candrake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, do you know, I mean, we know who one of the characters here is, Philip. We also know that the, another character is this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we don't have a name for that individual. We know what he does, the role that he has, but you know why we don't have his name? He didn't fill one of these out. It, it is so important that there be not just a soul seeker, but there be a seeking soul. And that's what this Ethiopian individual was. He was someone who was interested in the things of God, although he didn't necessarily know all that much about God. And, and so there's a third element here that is important, and that is Scripture. The, the scripture, the word of God. And this Ethiopian eunuch had some of that from the Old Testament. That's what he had. And, and so let's look at this as the story continues in chapter 8, verse 30. It says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, let me tell you, when I was in uh, Bible college as an undergrad student back 40 years, 30 or 40 years ago, um, I took my last semester, a class called Isaiah. Do you know how many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? 66. That is a lot. We had scripture memory every day. We had quizzes. We had tests. We had recalled particular things. I had saved that particular class till my last semester because I was so afraid of the book of Isaiah well, more the professor of, of the class, because it was a big, big book. To my surprise and delight, as finals were approaching, I got a memo from the professor. I was so proud of it, I, I didn't have a frame, but I tacked it to the door of my dorm room. So I could brag and show it off to all, all the other guys in my dorm. It said, due to your uh, diligence in keeping up with the daily assignments and your grade in that regard, you are exempt from taking the final. Oh, because I would have flunked that thing. Just one more. Just one more. There needs to be a soul seeker. There needs to be a seeking soul. And there needs to be the scripture. There's also another couple elements. The next one being there needs to be a speaker. That's you. That's me. I can remember another individual that is very near and dear to us. Um, when, again, when we were in Arizona, uh, 
Kale, our oldest son, was six when we moved there, and uh, he, was, he was about 10 at this time. When we had actually moved out of the apartment, we found a home that was less than a mile from the church, and I, would, I was able to either ride my bike to the house for lunch, uh, maybe drive a car, but uh, it was so nice all the time, so I, I, would, I would get home somehow and, and eat lunch. Gayla would have lunch for me, and I'd get to, to talk about what was going on for the day, get to check in, see how things were going. Um, Kale was home this one time, so it's, it had to have been during the summer, and um, oftentimes the question was, what's going on? How, you know, and, and Gayla asked, and, and I said, well, so-and-so uh, is wanting to get baptized. Kale was 10 years old at the time. He slams his fist on our lunchroom table with all the might a 10-year-old can muster, and he said, you'll baptize anybody else, but you won't baptize me? Now, I'd been holding him off for a number of months or years because I just thought, oh, he's, he's only wanting to do this because he's my son, or he's only wanting to do this because uh, he's interested in taking communion, or he's only interested in doing this because, uh, and I was thinking of every reason why not to where he was only interested in why. Sometimes the fruit is so easy to pick, isn't it? It's the guy that comes through your apartment complex or the son that's eating at your table. Just one more, Lord. This speaker is you. It's me. And as the story continues, in verse 30, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Who is that actually speaking about? This is where you jump in. Jesus. And Philip shares with him from that passage of Scripture who Jesus is. Speaking Jesus into the life of that Ethiopian. There is also another element, not just a soul seeker, a seeking soul, or the scripture, and your role as a speaker, there is the Savior. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 34, it reads like this, the eunuch had asked Philip, tell me, what, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. There is this wonderful reality, this truth that's being communicated that 
God has a place. And he has room. I, I, to, to tell you the truth, um, I, I was never more prouder than you than I, I could have been. Last week, uh, we had a, a very full church home. We had 521, I believe, that were in attendance last Sunday. That's almost as many as are in the whole town again Monday. Um, and what, what I was more proud of, not, not just the, what I was more proud of is how you made space. Some of you moved down the row. Some of you, as you came, you parked far away. Some of you uh, were parking vehicles. Some of you, you, you just made space. You made room for just one more. Good job. Thank you. Because the kingdom has room for one more. Every family is excited about one more, aren't they? Every family. I don't know of another family anywhere that isn't excited when they find out a new baby is coming into the family. I've told this story before. I didn't even tell it first service, so congratulations. You get it in this, sir. Um, my house daughter, when we were at Cooks in the Hills, um, she was dating a guy. She wanted me to meet him, and I was in Tulsa for this conference. They were there for a national missionary conference as well. And she said, hey, Dad, I, I, I want you to meet. His name's Eric. I want you to meet him. He's great. And she said this. Um, there, is, there is something, though. I go, what? She goes, you can't be like you always are. I go, what? She goes, you always look like when you're idling, you're always so grumpy looking. Stop that. You're better than that. And she included this. She said, and you never know, this may be a future son-in-law. Before we moved from Oklahoma to Arizona, I got to perform and officiate their wedding. That's been 30 years ago now. They are in ministry, doing the children's ministry stuff at a children's home in Florida. Just one more. There is so much here. The story continues, though. There, there's the rest of the story because there's this relationship that's developed between Philip and this Ethiopian, and it continues on down into the uh, uh, down into uh, the rest of the story in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 36. It says, As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again. I'm so glad the word that the next word that's in this passage is here, not the word and, because remember, the eunuch never saw him again and went on his way rejoicing. No, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north of the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there, and every town along the way, just one more. Just one more. Some of you may have noticed that I forgot something today. Don't have any shoes on. Uh, some had suspected in first service because I baptized Jim early on in the service and then I just kind of got busy with other things. Uh, but actually, no, it was for you that I did this. Now, you, you may look at these feet and you think, hmm, huh, pretty good looking feet. <laughs> actually, they're 57-year-old feet. From time to time, I have a gout flare and... <laughs> This one will light up like a stoplight. I've, got, uh, I've broken both big toes at different times. I have um, had three planter's warts removed from this heel. This ankle um, has a cable in it and a bunch of other hardware from when I broke my ankle delivering pizzas on the ice one time. My heels get cracked when it gets pretty dry out. But I've got really good-looking feet. There's a passage of Scripture that indicates that, and actually, you've got pretty good-looking feet, too. In Romans chapter 10, it speaks to this, because, again, it's, it's, you need a soul-seeker. You need a seeking soul. You need Scripture. You need a speaker. You need the Savior in order to have the rest of the story. But the truth is, you as an ambassador, you as one who is inviting you, as one who is reaching, this looks just like you. In Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 11, it says, As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced, Jew and Gentile. And the same in, the, in this respect. They have the same Lord who, are, uh, who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's you. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's us. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Good news communicates so well. I've never had a problem communicating good news. I have had trouble and had crucial conversations with individuals when, when it's not been good news. But I've never miscommunicated good news. It's never been under, misunderstood about good news. There's an individual, I, I just love this story, um, and it's no story at all. It's, it's actually very, very real. Desmond Doss, any of you watched the movie back in 2016 is when it came out, um, Hacksaw Ridge, great war movie, blood, guts to the gills, let me tell you, just how I like them. 
Um, but the reality of that movie uh, was individual because his theme throughout his life was just one more. Actually, he had potentially endured a court-martial because of his role as a conscientious objector. Actually, he hated the term. He uh, indicated that in the, in the movie, you saw that. Um, he would prefer to have been called a, a conscientious cooperator. He didn't want to use a, a weapon of destruction, a gun or anything like that. He wanted to save lives. He wanted to rescue. You remember this story? The whole time, particularly through the battle, what he ended up doing was wanting to rescue just one more. And that was his, uh, the movie depicted that so incredibly well. There is this, he received the Medal of Honor, Valor, from President Harry Truman. And this is what Truman had communicated in that citation. Private First Class Desmond T. Doss, United States Army Medical Detachment, 307th Infantry, 77th Infantry Division, near Yurso, Mura, Okinawa, Ryuko Islands, 29th of April through the 21st of May, almost a month, 1945. He was a company aid man, a medic, uh, when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged escarpment 400 feet high. As our troops gained the summit, a heavy concentration of artillery mortar and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties and driving the others back. Private First Class Doss refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area with the many stricken carrying them one by one to the edge of the escarpment and there lowering them on a rope-supported litter down the face of a cliff to friendly hands. On May 2nd, he exposed himself to heavy rifle and mortar fire in rescuing a wounded man 200 yards forward of the line of battle. And two days later, he treated four men who had been cut down while assaulting a strongly defended cave, advancing through a shower of grenades to within eight yards of enemy forces in a cave's mouth, where he dressed his comrades' wounds before making four separate trips under fire to evacuate them to safety. On the 5th of May, three days later, he unhesitatingly braved enemy shelling and small arms to fire uh, arms fire to assist an artillery officer. He applied bandages, moved his patient to a spot that offered protection from small arms fire, and while artillery and mortar shells floor, uh, fell close by, he painstakingly administered plasma. Later that day, when an American was severely wounded by fire from a cave, Private First Class Doss crawled to him where he had fallen 25 feet from the enemy position, rendered aid, and carried him 100 yards to safety while continually exposed to enemy fire. On the 21st of May, in a night attack on high ground near Shuri, he remained in exposed territory while the rest of the company took cover. 
fearlessly risking the chance that he would be mistaken for an infiltrating Japanese and giving aid to the injured until he was himself seriously wounded in the legs by the explosion of a grenade. Rather than call another aid man from cover, he cared for his own injuries and waited five hours before litter bearers reached him and started carrying him back to cover. The trio was caught in an enemy attack and Private First Class Doss, seeing a more critically wounded man nearby, crawled off the litter and decided and directed that the bearers give their first attention to the other man. Awaiting the litter bearer's return, he was again struck, this time suffering a compound fracture of one arm. With magnificent fortitude, he bound a rifle stock to his shattered arm as a splint and then crawled 300 yards over rough terrain to the aid station. Through his outstanding bravery and unflinching determination in the face of desperately dangerous conditions, Private First Class Doss saved the lives of many soldiers. It's estimated, or not even estimated, it's, it's founded that he saved 75. And what he did the whole time, if you remember that movie, he said, just one more, Lord just one more and he would lower that man and he would go back and get another one get another one in fact um, Mel Gibson who had directed this movie didn't even put in the movie the aspect of him getting shot in the arm and having to strap a rifle stock to his arm to, and then crawl back because he said, it's too unbelievable. Nobody would believe, they think I'm making it up. There's a, a Japanese sniper that had indicated he had DOS in his rifle sights three different times. You remember he got his helmet shot off at least once. But this Japanese sniper said he had him in his sights three different times. And each time he was ready to fire, his rifle jammed. Private First Class Doss saved the lives of many soldiers. His name became a symbol throughout the 77th Infantry Division. For outstanding gallantry far and above and beyond the call of duty. Earlier in the movie, there was a lot of frustration with his fellow troops. They thought they were going to have to be bailing him out of trouble all the time, and especially with him not carrying a rifle. The court-martial didn't go through. He was able to remain a medic and rescue so, so many. Watching him on that clip, there's a clip of him after the credits of that movie. And hearing him, seeing him tell the story of bringing sight to the blind. One of the soldiers had thought he had gone blind, but it was from all the dirt and the debris and everything he needed. And Doss found him, poured some water on his head, and, and his eyes flickered open. He thought, I, I thought I was blind. Got him out, drug him out. Just one more, Lord. That's what he kept saying. And that's what I think you'll want to say. Because you got good looking feet. Just one more. 
Go get another one. Go get another one. Go get one more. Will you stand with me? Our dear Heavenly Lord, our Heavenly Father, we've been given so much. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. We've got incredibly good news to a world that needs it, to friends and family who need it. Just one more, Lord. You've got plenty of room. We'll make room. Just one more. These are your people, Lord. Online, those that are watching now or maybe throughout the course of this week, these are your people. Just one more, Lord. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said,